Welcome to Nutrition Assessment. In this episode, we have the audio-only portion of class from December 1st, 2021. In this episode, we talk about systemic bias in healthcare. And as I've said many times throughout the semester, and you'll hear me say again in this recording, this is a topic that deserves more than one hour. Um, We could do years on this topic, and we should. So this is one in particular that I am happy to keep the conversation going. If you have questions, comments, concerns, you want to know more, please do just reach out and let me know. Announcements. Um, We are going to talk about this article today, but I really cannot emphasize enough that I would like you to read Hidden in Plain Sight, Reconsidering the Use of Race Correction in Clinical Algorithms. This article came out last year. Um, So we'll talk about it today. And yeah, it's, we got to talk about this. There is no lab next week. We talked about this for Tuesday folks yesterday. We'll talk about it again for Wednesday folks today. Um, Unless you need to make up anything from the semester. We can basically make up anything except NFPE standardized patients. I can't just pull that one out of thin air next week. Everything else though, we've got stored in the kitchen and we could do if you need it. So let me know and um, basically Steph or I will be available at the same times that we would normally have lab next week. So if you need to come and do something, we, we, can, we can work that out. Um, the final exam study guide will be posted soon because somehow it's almost finals. Um, for those of you in Wednesday Lab, we, we are having an ongoing conversation about the format of the final exam, um, but the Tuesday afternoon and Tuesday morning lab folks all agreed that they liked the idea of a take-home exam that was open for multiple days. So unless the Wednesday afternoon folks are vehemently opposed to that idea, any, 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 you're the only one I can think to see right now. Like, you're, they're waiting. No? Okay, all right. So that's probably where we're headed with that, because I know you guys have a lot of exams on that Monday. So we'll get the study guide posted. Um, And I I only have five questions left to grade on the exam, but there's 70 of you. So that just means 350 questions to go on the midterm. Remember the midterm from like a year ago, right? Oh my goodness. All right. Did you know, did you know you have access to something called Silver Cloud here at OSU? I have not tried it. I can't really endorse it because I'm not fully sure how great it is. Um, Because I'm not a student, so I don't have access to it. But it's an online interactive mental health resource that provides students with cognitive behavioral skills and strategies, accessible 24-7. It does not require referral, and you can download it and log in from from all all point all signs point to it should be pretty easy to use. Um, Also, um, Headspace is an app that you would have to purchase. Um, But they have a series on Netflix, which is basically like one giant commercial for their service. But I have fallen asleep to the Headspace episodes on Netflix multiple times, and that was the goal. So I can endorse that one. Um, I, somebody checked for me. Headspace was, actually had their stuff on sale. It was like $35 for a year instead of $70 for a year, and I splurged and bought it over the weekend. But I don't remember how long that sale was going on. I don't know if that's still the case. So far, it's very successfully helping me fall asleep. That or the sheer exhaustion of the end of the semester is doing it, right? But I'm, I'm enjoying that so far. But that one is not free. But Silver Cloud would be free or, you know, included with the cost of that tuition that you all pay. That entirely reasonable tuition you out-of-state folks. I still can't get it. Where's, where, where's Sam? Sam and Hannah. I can't get over it. I'm, it's, mm, mm, yeah, mm. All right. Anyway. Okay. So I sound like a broken record. 
when I say the topic we're covering this day is something we could talk about for the rest of the year, right? But in this case, this is something we could talk about for the rest of our lives, and we need to be talking about it for the rest of our lives. We're gonna talk about systemic bias in healthcare. And systemic bias, um, it's tricky because it can be, we'll talk about this, it can be built into systems such that you don't even realize that it's there. And it doesn't have to be malicious, right? I don't know anyone who has gone into healthcare with a mindset of, I'm going to treat different patients differently. I'm going to provide worse care to a specific group of my patients than I do to the others of my patients, right? No one goes into this with malintent, but the bias persists. And so to provide the best care, we need to address it. So when I talk about bias, bias can be any of millions of things, right? Think back to diet assessment, and I talked about all the times I had screwed up with diet assessment because I was biased towards assuming that the person I was working with had the same experience that I did, right? If you tell me you had a bowl of cereal, I assume you had a bowl that holds about a cup and a half of cereal, and that's how much cereal you ate. But oh, by the way, you currently play for the Ohio State University football team, and a bowl of cereal for you is a mixing bowl, right? That's different. I was biased. I, I made an assumption. I didn't mean anything by it. I didn't mean, you know, anything malevolent, right? But it's a bias that I had. And once I was aware of that bias, I could do better, right? So <clears throat> systemically, on that same vein, diet data entry systems, right? Um, Yang, were you trying to, was it you that were you trying to enter a specific ingredient and you couldn't find it in Isha? Yeah. So the, the diet data entry system is incredibly biased towards quote unquote typical foods in the United States, right? There's no malintent there, it's just that's what that system has. If you eat something from any other place in the world, right, as people do, the system may not have it. So our, our diet analysis systems, can be systematically biased against other cultures, foods, and customs, right? So those are some examples within dietetics specifically. But we wanna talk more broadly about how this impacts the care that we provide in healthcare. Um, and I have this incredibly audacious goal for today. Um, so there's not very many slides, but there's, there's one thing that I kinda hope we can maybe get at, one big idea. And these are not my words. These come directly from an article titled, Diversity is Not Enough, Advancing a Framework for Anti-Racism in Medical Education, okay? And these words are, recognize that the power structures and norms to which we are acculturated are not the only ones possible. In other words, recognize that just because that's the way we've done something for however many years or decades or centuries, that doesn't mean it's the only way we could do it, right? In fact, we could change things. And in many cases, we need to change things. So I'm gonna pick apart one example to try to illustrate this point. We talked on Monday about biochemical assessment, right? So biochemical assessment, we're taking a sample from the body and somehow quantifying the presence or absence of a biomarker, right? An enzyme, a protein, something that should be there or shouldn't be there or it should be in a specific range, right? And so it's 
you can't interfere with that, right? Like a person can't think their way down to a lower blood glucose, right? It is what it is. So we think of biochemical markers as being very objective. They're not the whole story. We have to look at the whole picture, but we think of them as very objective. However, the way we use those markers can be systemically biased. So let's look at glomerular filtration rate. So glomerular filtration rate is looking at kidney function. We're estimating how much blood goes through each of the glomeruli each minute. How efficiently are those kidneys working? We're not actually measuring. There's no, like, I can't even think how you would do this. There's no, you can't, like, insert something into the kidneys and measure the flow of blood to get this, right? We're estimating this rate based on how much creatinine we find in the blood. So we take that value, serum creatinine, and put it through an equation. The equations, when developed, they came up with different equations based on the patient's age, ethnicity, sex, and then it uses creatinine and height and weight, okay? So hang on to that thought. Here's current practice. This, this is my most recent comprehensive metabolic panel when I went to the doctor's office, right? So here's my estimated glomerular filtration rate. These are the results. I got them on my phone. And it says for an African-American, my EGFR is 116, which is in milliliters per blah, 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 blah per minute, right? And for non-African-American, it's 100, okay? So if I were black, my estimated glomerular filtration rate would be 116. But since I am not black, my estimated glomerular filtration rate is 100. What the heck? So there are two things you can be. You can be black and you can be not black. Okay? What, what, if, what if I had one black parent and one white parent? Then which one do I use? What if I had one brown parent and one white parent? What, what do I do then? Which one do I use to interpret? So this is the article I asked you to read. This is saying we need to look really closely at how we use this concept of race correction or correcting an estimate based on race. The reason for this, this is something that many very brilliant people have been fighting for years but it got a lot of attention in the last year and a half as all of our racial disparities have been amplified as they should be to look at and say, wait, why are we doing this? So if you look at this article, it breaks down. I'm gonna pick out just the kidney ones. Estimated glomerular filtration rate is used in the MDRD kidney health and um, the CKD EPI or chronic kidney disease EPI equations. You can read more about them there. They're estimating glomerular filtration rate on the basis of a measurement of serum creatinine. So we can measure creatinine, right? Creatinine is a product of normal muscle turnover, right? And we can measure that. We'll take that number and we'll estimate your glomerular filtration rate. The input variables in the equation are serum creatinine, age and sex, and race, black or other, okay? Those are our options. The algorithm, I'm quoting the article directly here, the algorithm developers justified these outcomes with evidence of higher average serum creatinine concentrations among black people than among white people. Explanations that have been given for this finding include the notion 
not the evidence, the notion that black people release more creatinine into their blood at baseline, in part because they are reportedly more muscular. Does that strike anyone as racist? Right? So there are people who are more muscular than I am of all colors, right? So should they have their EGFR corrected because they have more muscle mass? Maybe so. But we should correct it based on their actual muscle mass and not an assumption about their muscle mass, right? But this is, I mean, it's right, it's right here. We're still doing this. This is still a way that the data is printed out in terms of if I were black, they would assume that I have more muscle mass because I'm, y'all, I'm the laziest person there is. I'm not lifting, I love reading about your personal interests, right? But I'm not out there lifting weights. I'm not out there learning how to be the healthiest. I'm trying to get through the day, right? I don't have that much muscle mass. So why, why do we do this? And what impact does that then have? So if you look at this, both the MDRD equation and the CKD epi equation report a higher EGFR value. You saw mine, right? If I were black, it would be higher. The way estimated glomerular filtration rate works, the higher your estimated rate, the healthier we assume your kidneys to be, right? If it's greater than or equal to 60, we assume you have healthy kidneys. If it's less than or equal to 15, you're in kidney failure. If someone's kidneys were failing, but you assumed that they had greater muscle mass, then you would use the higher value. You would be slower to treat someone who in fact has underlying kidney disease because you used an equation that assumed something about their body that is not necessarily true. It could be, right? But it's not guaranteed, why, why do we do this? This is my question. As I'm bringing this up, I should point out, I never questioned that we do this. When I sat in this class as a student way too many years ago, right, I learned with estimated glomerular filtration rate, you gotta be careful and make sure that you're reading the correct line for your patient, because they might print all the possible EGFRs, and you gotta find the one that matches the demographics of your patient, okay? That's what I committed to memory. That's what I remembered. That's what I taught in this class up until last year when this article was published, and I went, oh, shit. I didn't think about it. I didn't question it until very recently. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to question this. Why would we use an equation that splits the entire diversity of the world's population into two groups, right? Particularly when the equation as written may put one specific group at a higher risk of not getting treatment. Why would we do that? Why are we still doing this? Some institutions have abandoned this particular equation. They no longer use the race correction. Part of the reason this got into the news summer of 2020 is a lot of medical students at various institutions were pushing strongly against this, right? So should you ever doubt whether you have any power, it was students that really got this in the news, summer of 2020. And I gotta tell you, med students are not one bit smarter or better than you. Let me be very clear on that, right? Blah, 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 hierarchy in medicine, we're all people. They're just people, I promise. So 
estimated glomerular filtration rate may delay referral for a black patient needing specialist care and for kidney transplantation. Speaking of kidney transplantation, the kidney donor risk index is an equation that calculates how likely a kidney graft is to succeed. Or in other words, put another way, how likely that kidney donation is to fail. What is the risk that we will take this kidney out of one body, put it in another body, and it will fail when it gets into the other body? Here are all the input variables for saying that a kidney is less likely to successfully transplant. Advancing age, hypertension or diabetes, cool. The kidneys are highly vascularized, right? And we know both hypertension and diabetes can cause damage to vascular structures, right? So that makes sense. If you have hypertension and diabetes, less likely to have um, a successful kidney transplant. Serum creatinine level, cause of death, right? If I'm walking down the street and I get hit by University Village bus, which is always my joke, right? I am an organ donor, right? And my kidneys are still working. You, you, you could take them, right? Reasonable, reasonably young-ish, ish. Uh, <clears throat> otherwise healthy, no hypertension, no diabetes, and my cause of death was an accident, like blunt force trauma, the kidney should still be fine, right? As opposed to if I die of a stroke or heart attack, right, that would be indicative that there was underlying cardiovascular damage. Again, kidneys very highly vascularized. So maybe in that case, we don't want that, do that donation, right? So that's, that's something to consider. So yeah, cardiac death, probably not gonna take that kidney, okay? Hepatitis C, um, height and weight, HLA matching. HLA matching, I forget what the acronym stands for exactly, but I learned it when my dad was undergoing cancer treatment. It basically, it's looking at genotypes and seeing is this actually going to match the, the recipient's body. So you don't have graft versus host disease or um, where the host rejects the graft or vice versa. Cold ischemia, in-block transplantation, a double kidney transplantation is extra risky. And then race, if you are African-American, your kidney is less likely to be successfully transplanted into another body. So if you, if you are black and you have a kidney and you donate it, that kidney is less likely to um, work in the, in, the, in the recipient's body. And that is based on evidence. They did research and were able to show that kidneys that had come from black bodies were more likely to fail. However, okay, is that because there is some genetic marker that makes black people have less healthy kidneys? I'm making, you can't see my face. No, that's not it, right? Black people are subjected to systemic racism and they have poorer health outcomes overall so the black person may have been less healthy, but it's not because of anything they did or didn't do or anything that was in their body from birth. It's because we have systems that put that group of people at higher risk of disease, and they are less healthy because of it, right? So this, the, the way this equation works, it increases the predicted risk of kidney graft failure if the potential donor is identified as African-American. 
And it's a pretty significant adjustment. What this means in terms of equity is that the tool may reduce the pool of African-American kidney donors in the United States. Since African-American patients are more likely to receive kidneys from African-American donors, we've reduced the pool of available kidneys. So first of all, let me back up. This equation essentially says that if you're black, your kidney is healthier than someone who is not, right? Because we're estimating that your ability to filter through the kidneys is higher based on your larger muscle mass. So this equation says, oh, you're probably healthy. You're probably fine. We don't need to treat you for kidney disease, okay? That's an equation. This equation says, oh, if you're black, your kidney's not as good. It's not as healthy as someone who's not black. We can't accept it. I see the head shaking, right? Both of these are huge equity concerns. And both of these are based on an objective, I'm using air quotes, objective biochemical value. Here's where it struck me that we love, I love science, right? I think it's the coolest thing, right? And we like to think with science that we're always objective, we're seeking the truth, we want it to be verifiable, right? We, do we have a hypothesis, we design a test, we look at the results, we go with the results, not what we thought was gonna happen, but what would actually happen. Here's the thing though, there are people in science, which means there is racism in science, right? And we have to be aware of it so we can do a better job of calling it out and saying this is not okay, right? This is hurting patients. This is not helping anybody, right? And anybody who needs a kidney will probably tell you they just want a healthy kidney, right? Anyone who needs an organ donor is going to take a healthy kidney. Let's, let's get at that. So in this list also, there is that idea of HLA matching, which is looking at genetics, which brings up the question, race and um, ethnicity. Is there a genetic basis for this, or is race purely a social construct, something we have decided exists, right? And so we've decided that you're, you're somehow biologically different if you have a different skin color. Okay, yes, it is. Absolutely a social construct, right? Dating back centuries, this assumption that certain bodies were, were better suited to hard labor. Do you know where I'm going with this? Right? Yes, we have a history of that. However, is it possible that there may be some genetic markers? Because obviously we do have different physical characteristics and we know that we get those from our genes. Is it possible? So what comes to mind for me is sickle cell anemia, right? Sickle cell anemia is very often found in certain parts of the world where the majority of the population is black. So is there a genetic basis that underlies some of the, this is, um, mm, right? Whether or not there's a genetic basis for race is up for debate. Whether or not race is a social construct that actively hurts people is not up for debate. That is absolutely true. So the authors of this article, what they, what they did is they go through, and you really should read this article, they go through several different clinical algorithms and they say, you know, as we look at these particular algorithms, these particular algorithms at least had 
a defensible logic, right? They were able to find that kidneys donated from black people were less likely to be um, successful, that they had data to support that. They did not, however, have data to support that there was some genetic basis for that, right? So they're able to show the results of racism, that you have less healthy people, but they weren't able to show that there's some genetic basis to it. So the authors of this article basically maintained, if we're going to develop clinical algorithms, if we're going to do this, if we're going to have a race correction in a clinical algorithm, let's think about this. Is the need for a race correction based on robust evidence and statistical analysis with consideration of internal and external validity. Okay, internal validity means how well did you run your study, right? How well did you control all of the variables you could control? How well did you manipulate only one thing at a time so you could see the cause and effect, right? How good was your study is internal validity. External validity is um, <clears throat> how well does it apply when you take it out of that incredibly controlled setting and put it in the real world? Right? So from a diet perspective, internal validity would be if I provide you with all of the foods you eat for two weeks and we can show that I can help you control your blood glucose with those foods, right? that's a, that's a fairly strong study design. Right? So we can show that you can control blood glucose through food. External validity is if I let you out in the world and eat whatever you want, can you maintain that? Right? So internal and external validity. Was it a good study? Um, and did you control for potential confounders and bias? The second question, is there a plausible causal mechanism for the racial difference that justifies the race correction? Is there a plausible causal mechanism here? So with the example of EGFR, historically, we've, we've got this assumption that the causal mechanism is that black people have more muscle mass, okay? okay, I will grant you it's plausible that that could exist, but do back up to number one. Do we have robust evidence to support that, right? Does that exist? And perhaps most importantly, would implementing this race correction relieve health, equity, health inequities or would it exacerbate health inequities, right? So the examples that I have here, if, if we know, right, Okay, let me back up. We know that racism is a social construct and that it causes certain groups of people to be at higher risk of poor health outcomes, right? We know health inequities exist. Why would we use a race correction, this EGFR correction, that assumes that one of those more vulnerable groups is actually healthier, right? That is counter to what we're trying to do. Nobody goes into healthcare and wakes up in the morning and says, I am gonna do some damage to some of my patients and help others. Nobody does that, right? But they might actually cause damage unless you stop and really look and see why are we doing this the way we do it. It's, it's been a shift within medicine in the last 50 years or so to go from this is the way we do it because we've always done it, right? To this is the way we do it because we have evidence to support that this is the way we should do it. And we still have a long way to go with that. So with this, the authors suggest, you know, when you're, when you're developing clinical algorithms, 
ask these three questions. Do we need this correction? Is there robust evidence to support the need for this correction? Is it plausible? Can we justify this? And does using this correction help patients or does it hurt patients, right? And by patients, I mean all patients, right? Not just some, all patients. On top of which, look at, look at any of these, right? Your options are black and everything else, right? You, <laughs> there's so many, so many more things you could be, right, than just those two categories. And, and does it, um, whew, okay, here we go. So when this article came out, it was summer of 2020, and I grabbed it and said, this is, this is what I'm gonna use as my entry point for talking about this in assessment. Because I have talked about glomerular filtration rate for years and not known this, so we're gonna talk about this. Since this article was published, I went back and was reading it again um, <clears throat> very recently, I'll put it that way, and um, there are now at least 250 articles that were published since this article was published that cite this article, right? So there's, they make some very good points is what I'm saying. And there's a lot more good points to be made. So one of the articles that cited this article is called Health Inequities and the Inappropriate Use of Race in Nephrology, nephrology being the study of the kidneys. So again, these are direct quotes because they said it better than I could. Race and ethnicity are socio-political constructs that are inextricably tied to health outcomes for individuals from racial and ethnic minority groups worldwide. Historically, science has developed and relied on racial frames to artificially organize people into presumed homogeneous and genetically distinct racial groups to suggest that inherent biological differences exist between the groups. Let me back up and rewrite that one a little bit. Historically, people, people have developed and relied on racial frames to artificially organize other people, right? Again, we like to hold up science and say it's this objective, pure thing, but there are people in science, right? And historically, if you look back, it's white dudes were the people in science. I got nothing against white dudes. I'm married to one, I'm raising one, right? But we had a very specific, I'm just saying, right? I, I, I like the one that I married. I hope I do a good job with the, with the one that I'm raising. But we had a very specific subset of people deciding what, how we were gonna do these things, right? So science developed this on racial frames to organize people. The use of race coefficients in estimated glomerular filtration rate equations reinforces flawed assumptions of race essentialism and potentially perpetuates health inequities for black individuals with kidney disease, right? There's been a lot published on this in the last year and a half. And yet, I went to my doctor's office a month ago, had blood work run, and the results come back with, here's your EGFR if you're black, here's your EGFR if you're not. It's still in use in many places, right? We've pretty thoroughly debunked this one. It makes no darn sense, right? But it's still in use. So, another one, addressing racism in preventive services. The quote here, race as a social category does not have biological underpinnings, but has biological consequences through racism. 
The way we treat people absolutely has effects on the body. But that doesn't mean that the body changes, you know, the bodies themselves are somehow flawed or different or less than. This has been a debate ever since we discovered genetic code, right? Is there some genetic basis for race or racism, or is it a social construct? And to, in my mind, the answer is absolutely yes, it is a social construct, right? We, for crying out loud, we had colored bathrooms and white bathrooms for the longest time in this country, right? That is a, we all pee yellow, can I just say, right? So that's a social construct. Increasingly, we're getting better and better evidence to say, no, there is no genetic basis for saying that, um, you know, your, your race is determined by your genes or that that somehow has some widespread effects on your health and ability. That said, I distinctly remember seeing a researcher who was a social scientist, so she studied race as a social construct, who really struggled when she was presented with verifiable evidence that a particular group of black people did all have a, a similar genetic marker that put them at higher risk of hypertension, right? She really grappled with that because she understood the science and the science was good, it met the criteria, right, that those authors had outlined. But she had, up to that point, fully bought into there's no genetic basis, right? I say this because it, it's possible, it's possible that there is something there. Sickle cell anemia is the one that always comes to mind, right? There are, there are certain diseases that do seem to come up only in specific populations. But it's kind of a moot point because of the second half of this sentence. Racism has consequences on our health regardless of what your genes are, right? But it's something we have got to think about. And this, this really puts it, put, puts it together better. Race is not a risk factor for a disease, but it is a proxy for exposure to racism. And racism is a risk factor for poor health outcomes, right? So with all of that, this was day one of the class. I don't know if you remember this. Day one of the class. These are the two things I want you to walk away from this class from. These are my airport points, right? So when we're both, I, not fencing anymore, we're going like, I don't know, where you, want, where you guys want to go? Caribbean? Greece? Where's warm and sunny right now, right? When we meet in the airport, because we're both on our way to somewhere delightful and warm and lovely, right? And we chat for a few minutes, and you walk away, and you, were, you are remembering what you learned in this class, right? These are the two things I hope you remember. I hope you remember that nutrition assessment means collaborating with another human being about their health, and that that human being is as complex and interesting as you are. But I wanna add another layer to this one. I hope you remember that that other human being can walk into the same space as you into the same environment, into the same people, and have a completely different experience than what you had. Their perspective, their experience, the, the things, their encounters can be completely different based on things like systemic bias. And I only picked a couple examples. There's a lot more things we could talk about in terms of systemic bias in healthcare. You brought up um, transgender patients being denied care because they are transgender, right? So I could walk into a clinic and no one's, no one's gonna deny me care, right? 
whereas another person could walk in the same clinic and be denied care, right? That's not okay. So every person is unique. A lot of times when, when presented with this type of information, people will get defensive, right? Because no one, no one who goes into healthcare is going into healthcare saying, I'm gonna do a bad job today, right? So people will get defensive and say, well, I treat every person as an individual, right? I treat them with whatever specific needs they have. And that's lovely and wonderful. But the systems that we have in place may or may not do the same. The systems may or may not acknowledge the individual in front of you and treat each individual with the care that they need. So <laughs> this is why this is one of my airport points. I want you to remember that you're working with another human being about their health, but also remember that their experiences in what seems like the exact same setting to you could be vastly different from your own. My second airport point, you will know who to ask or where to find the reference range method or answer for whatever it is, right? So I've said many, many times, with, with a few exceptions, because there's a whole RD exam thing coming up, that I don't need you to memorize the range, but I need you to memorize where to look it up. I want to add on to this one too, though. I want you to ask better questions, right? It will probably come as no surprise if I tell you that I was a good student when I was in school, right? Shockingly out of character, right? That I would, I would potentially study a lot, because I'm a nerd, right? I was a good student. I memorized everything. I could recite it back to you. I hope all of you can be better. I hope all of you can question the things you're presented with, that you can say respectfully to your preceptors or whomever, why are we doing it this way? What is the evidence to support that this is the way we should do this? Why is this the way it's always been done? Right. So with that, I purposely left extra time in case anyone wants to ask questions, have a discussion about this. I'm totally open to hearing more examples of bias that you guys have come across. Weight bias, we could do a whole nother hour just on weight bias in healthcare. Um, and also, <laughs> there's like a zillion things posted on Carmen now that I think you should read because they're worth your time. And just a few, just a few references here that you could go to for more information, right? Just, just a little bit. I forgot to put the exit ticket on for crying out loud. It has been a wild, wild week already, I tell you what. Mm -hmm.